The Hamlet Podcast, episode 41. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Macbeth, with me your host, Connor Hanritty. Whether or not Shakespeare and his company took an interval within a performance of this play, at very least he now gives a little break to the actor playing Macbeth, who has been on stage almost since the story began. Now we get something completely different. So different, in fact, that several editors and scholars wonder if Shakespeare even wrote it. The case has been made that this scene, in fact, was written by Thomas Middleton, and then interpolated into the text of Macbeth. There's plenty out there to read, and you can draw your own conclusions. We have only a small bit of evidence, which I'll explain when we get to it. This scene, Act 3, Scene 5, reunites us with the three witches, who enter and meet with no less than Hecate herself. Hecate was an ancient Greek goddess of witchcraft, particularly associated with the moon. She brings a kind of ancient pre-Christian terror to the supernatural elements of the play, the sense that the witches and the forces they traffic in are very old and very dangerous. Hecate is one of very few gods or goddesses to appear and actually speak in Shakespeare. It was very much not allowed to put any religious figures on stage, but an ancient witch goddess wasn't as much of a concern. It would certainly thrill the king, Shakespeare's patron. Hecate is referred to in several other plays, including Hamlet, where the poison used by Lucianus in The Mousetrap is thrice blasted, thrice infected by her influence. Three is certainly her number. On occasion it is even suggested that she had three heads. She's certainly a powerful figure, and she appears here in a foul rage. The first witch has to greet her, and says, Why, how now, Hecate, you look angrily. Angrily is an archaic term, but obviously we can understand it to mean that Hecate is furious. Now she speaks, and her diatribe takes up just about the entire scene. I'll read it once through so you can start to hear her rather distinctive rhythm, but as has happened so often in the play already, we start off with a seemingly strict metrical pattern, only for it to evolve and expand and contract to fit the excitement of the speaker. The witch goddess begins... Have I not reason, Beldams, as you are, saucy and overbold? How did you dare to trade and traffic with Macbeth in riddles and affairs of death? And I, the mistress of your charms, the close contriver of all harms, was never called to bear my part, or show the glory of our art. And which is worse, all you have done has been but for a wayward son, spiteful and wrathful, who, as others do, loves for his own ends, not for you. But make amends now, get you gone, and at the pit of Acheron meet me i' the morning, thither he will come to know his destiny. Your vessels and your spells provide, your charms and everything beside. I am for the air, this night I'll spend unto a dismal and a fatal end." Great business must be wrought ere noon. Upon the corner of the moon there hangs a vaporous drop profound. I'll catch it ere it come to ground, 
and that, distilled by magic slights, shall raise such artificial sprites as by the strength of their illusion shall draw him on to his confusion. He shall spurn fate, scorn death, and bear his hopes of wisdom, grace, and fear. And you all know, security is mortal's chiefest enemy. Now, maybe it isn't by Shakespeare. Maybe a sophisticated AI analysis will reveal to us that something else is going on entirely. There are echoes in here that do make me think that Shakespeare wrote it, but who am I to proclaim anything? Some critics feel that since this is a very unusual rhythm for Shakespeare to use, that it can't be by him. But given how well he manipulates just about any other rhythm he selects, why wouldn't he be able to use this one? Hecate, as we've been told, is looking angrily. She insists that she should be angry, since the three witches have been so overbold as to trade and traffic with Macbeth on such serious matters. Have I not reason, beldams as you are, saucy and overbold? How did you dare to trade and traffic with Macbeth in riddles and affairs of death? But it's not just that they've been having these dealings with Macbeth. It's also an issue that they didn't include her. She is the mistress of their charms, the secret plotter of all harms, and she's angry that she wasn't even invited. And surely she'd be a good person to ask to participate in a demonstration of their abilities. And I, the mistress of your charms, the close contriver of all harms, was never called to bear my part or show the glory of our art. Hecate, with or without the three heads, makes her point in three segments, and concludes this explanation of her fury with a little description of Macbeth. Bad enough that the witches are messing around, intervening with these mortal affairs. Worse that they didn't ask her to help. But worst of all, they've been using even these small traces of their abilities to help a wayward son. Selfish and not at all likely to reciprocate this gift, this love they've offered him. He is spiteful and wrathful. And wayward, not necessarily an echo of weird, seems also to imply that he's making his own path, not sticking to any guidance, good or ill. And which is worse, all you have done hath been but for a wayward son, spiteful and wrathful, who, as others do, loves for his own ends, not for you. This scene this encounter with the goddess of all witches is a good jolt of new theatrical energy in the play, but is also coming at an interesting point. Macbeth is fixated on coming to see the witches again and to learn, by any force or means necessary, what else they can tell him. He's increasingly distant from Lady Macbeth, and now wants this supernatural counsel rather than that of his wife. Just as we're seeing that schism appearing, we meet Hecate, introducing herself here in all her power and giving us a hint of how dangerous she can be. She knows he's coming, and so she tells the witches to meet her tomorrow morning. This scene is presumably later the same night after the banquet, since we know Macbeth is planning to go and see them first thing. 
but make amends now, get you gone, and at the pit of Acheron meet me in the morning, thither he will come to know his destiny. Acheron was one of the rivers of the ancient Greek underworld. It was the proverbial entrance to hell. Hecate presumably means that she will meet the witches at whatever pit Macbeth is planning to visit, and makes it more dramatic by calling it Acheron. He is coming to know his destiny, she says, so they are going to put on a show. She tells the witches to bring all their magic and their materials with them. Your vessels and your spells provide, your charms and everything beside. Hecate herself isn't going to waste the night. She's going to fly away. I am for the air, she says, and perhaps in the globe she might actually have flown and she's going to use the interim unto a dismal and a fatal end. She'll be spending the night doing terrible things. Echoing the Macbeths and their favourite euphemism, she says that great business must be completed before noon tomorrow. She also explains that she will be collecting a magical drop of a dangerous liquid that is hanging from the edge of the moon. She's going to snag it before it can fall to the earth. I'm for the air, this night I'll spend unto a dismal and a fatal end. Great business must be wrought ere noon. Upon the corner of the moon there hangs a vaporous drop profound. I'll catch it ere it come to ground. It's possible that this strange droplet is a reference to an ancient Roman poem. I'll put this in the show notes as it need not derail us here. Hecate is going to collect this potent and profound droplet and use it to cook up her own magical apparitions to seduce and confuse Macbeth. This liquid, distilled by her magic tricks, will then conjure some powerful sprites and illusions, powerful enough to lead Macbeth to his downfall. Confusion here can have multiple meanings, anywhere between confusion as we know it to madness and, of course, destruction. And that, distilled by magic slights, shall raise such artificial sprites as by the strength of their illusion shall draw him on to his confusion. The last segment of Hecate's speech is the one that sounds most like Shakespeare and has the most quotable line. She prophesies that Macbeth will reject the idea of fate and laugh in the face of death, and cling to his hopes, even when rational wisdom, grace, or plain old fear should make him give up. And why? Because she's going to make him believe in himself to a wildly dangerous extent. Self-confidence, or security as she puts it, is the most dangerous thing for a man to have. He shall spurn fate, scorn death, and bear his hopes above wisdom, grace, and fear. And you all know, security is mortal's chiefest enemy. This is quite a shocking contrast to the understood relations that Macbeth mentioned in the previous episode. He's convinced that signs are there to be read, to be understood, and that they will lead him to further power and greatness. Immediately after, we meet this strange and alarming female, who tells us that she will lead Macbeth further astray with illusions. This is so dark and dangerous, but theatrically fascinating. And as if an appearance by the supreme goddess of witches in an angrily rage wasn't enough, 
we now get a song from off stage. The stage directions only list the first words, come away, come away, etc. Now, there is another play called The Witch by Thomas Middleton, and it includes the full text of a song that also starts with the words, come away, come away, Hecate. Given that the purpose of the song here in Macbeth is to summon Hecate onwards to her night's great business, it doesn't seem greatly extraordinary that the lyrics come away, come away should appear here. But this is a major piece of evidence for this scene having been written by Middleton. You can have a read of the full text of the song and even its tune in the show notes for this episode at thehamletpodcast.com. And again, you can make up your own mind. It's possible that this scene included this song and some music, but regardless how much of it the audience actually got to hear, Hecate eventually answers the call to come away with her last couplet. And she says, Hark, I am called. My little spirit, see, sits in a foggy cloud and stays for me. Even Hecate has a familiar It isn't specified what species it might be, but a little creature appears sitting on a foggy cloud, hovering to entreat her to get going. It stays for her, she says, and now she exits, again perhaps through the air, with her familiar. For a witch-obsessed audience at the court of King James, whether at the Globe or anywhere else, this could have been electrifying entertainment. For us, reading or seeing the play a few hundred years later, it's easy to write this off as a silly scene with a spooky and supernatural goddess who rails against her witchy servants. But embedded in it is a vital clue for our interpretation of the play. Security is mortal's chiefest enemy. Macbeth shouldn't believe or cling to whatever he's going to hear when he meets the witches again. So Hecate has exited, and the three witches will follow suit. But the first witch concludes the scene by saying, Come, let's make haste. She'll soon be back again. This feels like something of a promise. We've had a scene of set-up as the witches get their instructions to prepare for Macbeth's visit. And now they tell us, rather like at the end of an exciting Marvel movie, that this extraordinary character will return. And that's Act 3, Scene 5. It's very short, so I figured we would do it all in a single episode. Next time will be Act 3, Scene 6. And amazingly enough, it too will fit in a single session. And I hope you'll join me for it. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll speak to you next time.